Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Kid Stays in the Podcast. I'm your host, Trey Cooper, and joining me is... Dispensed Cooper. Not going to make fun of you for this time. Um, these aren't even worth making fun of anymore. They're so bad. What? So yes, joining me as always is my co-host, Solomon Cooper, the not master of wit, not master of puns. What's what's the opposite of a master? A rookie? Mm. A peasant? Rookie sounds like you're actually trying, though. And I am not trying. Succeeding. No, this feels feeble. Enfeebled. I think of it off the spot. It's just so good. Yeah, it's called show prep. I want to know what Try you it would. Sometime. I we did show prep, bruh. What what did what did you do? What what would you do for your fun name? I would just say my own name. But that's not fun. It's more fun than saying something that's not funny. It doesn't it's need to be silly. funny. This is fun. Now nobody knows your name, and they didn't get to hear a funny joke. <laughs> Anyway, we have a really great episode for you today. I'm really excited about it because we're going to talk about the new film based on a novel, or I shouldn't say novel, a short story by Joe Hill, famously the son of noted horror author Stephen King. Um, and that is secret name, Joe Hill. Well, it's not a secret anymore, but I think he did use it so he could kind of differentiate himself from his dad. And, you know, people always, oh, by the way, sorry, the movie is, I was about to go rabbit-holing oh, all over the place. Sorry. The, the movie we're going to be talking about is The Black Phone. Uh, absolutely fantastic short story. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. However, do go see the movie first. Yes, I'm going to say that. Go see the movie first, then read the short story. Because um, there is going to be, obviously, some spoilers. It's fair. It's fair. But uh, absolutely fantastic Short story, highly recommend it. What I was going to say is, yeah, everybody talks about, you know, Nicolas Cage kind of did the same thing, right? He changed his name from Nicholas Coppola to Nick Cage because he claims he got tired of all the razzing and he kind of wanted to make it on his own. You know what I mean? He didn't want to think it's because of his uncle, Francis Ford Coppola, who you're looking at me very blankly. You don't no, know who Francis I, Ford I know, Coppola is? I know exactly who that is. Who is it? Who's Francis Ford Coppola? You have a movie podcast. You should really know this. Uh, he's the creator of that Coppola wine. Correct, and the director of the Godfather trilogy, most famously, amongst other things, Apocalypse Now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so Joe Hill kind of said the same thing. <laughs> you know, understand that this is primarily an audio medium, so you mugging for the camera when no one's watching is really not helping anything. Well, the people who are watching, who's get watch, it. who, who? I don't even know if they can watch right now. They, I don't know if they can, Solomon. <laughs> I really don't. I don't know if they can do it yet. Yes, they can. Be quiet. The people who were or are watching 
Um, those are that don't exist. Those people don't exist. They could. Be. You don't know. We have videos. I think we have like a, we post these on YouTube or something. I don't know. Um, anyway, what I'm trying to say is that Joe Hill said kind of the same thing. He wanted to make it on his own as a you know horror writer. Didn't want to have to be. Oh, it's just because my dad's name is Stephen King. I kind of feel like these people are full of poo poo. Do you really believe when they're not getting published, when no one's reading their book, they don't go in there and say, look, my dad's name is Stephen King. Have you ever heard of him before? Oh me, oh my, why let me get this book right in front of a publisher. You know what I mean? Do you really believe that they don't tell anybody in the back end? I feel like well, they, I feel I like think- they just publish under another name so that they, don't, they can give off the illusion that they're not coasting on their family name. I think also it could be like they want the people to know that he's actually is talented, but he also wants to get his book published, so he's going to be like, well, I mean, I, my dad is Stephen King. So. Yeah, so I'm saying, I feel like on the back end, all the things that us plebes, if I were to write a book and I were to go and they just never would read it, never would go in front of anybody, couldn't get an agent or something, you know what I mean? Yeah. I would have nothing to fall back on. There's no way that I believe that Nick Cage and uh, Joe Hill... Don't use the family name, you know what I mean? Just not publicly to get their books published. That's a little bit of cynicism for me, though, because honestly, Joe Hill is an incredibly talented writer, and I really, really like his short stories quite a bit. I might even enjoy them more than those of his father. That's that's wonderful. I don't read, so. Yes, it's very disappointing for all of us. Uh, for all of us. Before we jump into the movie, was there any... Other media housekeeping we need to do any TV shows. Obi Wan finished. finished. Yeah, it did it finished, and we were on a bye week then. We didn't have a podcast that week, so we haven't talked about it. You're right. Um, and Miss Marvel started. So Marvel was is great. Yeah, I can't remember if we discussed Miss Marvel, so let's not dive into it right now. Um, I'll, just to say, it is very, very good. I was expecting it to be very terrible. I love it. It has such wonderful. a unique sense of style, and it's like oh, like. Yeah, it feels like an Edgar Wright movie, but in a yeah, TV it does. Show it does form. feel like that. Yeah, it does. That's a really good comparison, Father. You know the the main kid, not not Kamala. Uh, what's her best friend's name? Like something like Dewey or his her. Yeah, like the dude. Yes, Bruno. Bruno, that's what it is. Uh, do you know he actually was like one of the finalists to play Spider Man, and then Tom Holland got it, the part. Really? Mm-hmm. That's that's a fun fun fact. I thought so. But anyway, we'll talk about that show, I think, in future podcasts a little bit more as it gets as the plot gets going. But let's just say so far, I would definitely say check it out. It's, it's really fun. It's a super it's super easy to watch. And if it's, you like high school movies, coming of age stories, then. Yeah, you don't have an excuse. You should be watching it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you like but Marvel and high school, you'll love this. I'm about to choke to death. <coughs> I inhaled a spider web. My dad just died. I, um, sorry. I'm going to be performing his eulogy right now. I inhaled a spider web. I saw it coming down. Then, <laughs> I, then I sucked it in. You inhaled a spider web? Yes, it was one of Charlotte's little babies floating <laughs> down. Charlotte's babies. Uh, but yeah, so let's talk about... Let's talk about... Obi-Wan? <laughs> it's not like I was about to start that song. Um, yeah, Obi-Wan. Okay. So the show is over now. Uh, it's a show that... Most everybody that we knew, the internet, everyone was very excited about seeing Ewan McGregor. And even a lot of people, Hayden Christensen, uh, come back as, as Anakin. Slash. Slash Darth Vader. Vader. Yeah. And 
do you want to do you want to just go ahead and start give a quick overview of your thoughts on it? Like, what do you think happened there? Uh, what, what, um, what were your overall, I guess, opinion of the show was by the time it was over? I feel like there wasn't enough Obi Wan in his show. Mm-hmm. Personally, I really would have, lo- and I also really would have loved, which I know is weird, but some more like flashbacks with like Anakin and Obi-Wan like together like that we haven't seen in like Clone Wars and stuff because we, we only got like one flashback and that was awesome but it's funny is it's it did the opposite of what we hated about Boba Fett which is there was way too many flashbacks and this under was like no flashbacks way too many flashbacks in Boba Fett Boba Fett yes yeah um also very odd the only flashback we got so Hayden Christensen is now in his 40s Really? And yeah, and the only flashback we get is a scene where he's supposed to still be a Padawan. So it actually is before even episode three. You know, he still has the Padawan yeah. braid. Uh, really kind of an odd choice to have, you know, 40 year old Hayden Christensen playing 16 year old Hayden Christensen. You know? Yeah. I, why they didn't choose a. I think that the reason they did it was because they're trying to tie it into the, the line that Vader says in A New Hope, where he says, you know, like, last time I was but a learner and you were the master. So I feel like because of that, that's why, they, that literally just because of that line is the only reason they said it then. Yeah. Um, I don't think they needed to do that. But if it would have been one of a billion flashbacks, it wouldn't bother me so much. But like you said, yeah, this was a show that really, I think, could have benefited from doing a lot more flashing back and forth to really tie you into Anakin and Obi-Wan's relationship since that's yep. kind of the premise of the show. Instead, it felt like they were really just treading water to fill up the running time that they had, and even though it was short. It was only six episodes. Yeah. Sorry, though. Did I step on your toes there a little bit? What were you going to say after that? That's honestly about it. I just feel like we we didn't see a whole lot of of Obi-Wan and that's really unfortunate. And honestly, we saw like Darth Vader a little bit, well, like more than, but both of those characters, I feel like we saw the least. Mm-hmm. I feel like we saw the main villain, Reva, Reva, who is barely a villain. Solomon used air quotes. Again, he's forgets that we're on a, uh, I said it in a sarcastic tone. I said, villain instead <laughs> of villain. You should have said the quote unquote villain. Anyway, go ahead. But yeah. And I just feel like, we got too much of her, and I don't really care about her. She wasn't even that good. And um, I just really would have loved to see more Hayden Christensen and more Ewan McGregor. Yeah, that's what we were all there for, right? Yeah, and, and it's called the Obi-Wan. It's called Obi-Wan Kenobi. And the stuff that they did um, to fill in the time just wasn't very interesting. So, like, you could say it's a twist, but that's like saying that you ordered a Coke, and the twist is that they gave you a big cup of diarrhea. <laughs> That's not really a twist. It's not what we ordered. <laughs> what? This wasn't prepared. So, like, and it wasn't that bad. I mean, that was an exaggeration, obviously. But, you know, yeah, it was a twist that Princess Leia was, like, a main character, like, 10-year-old Princess Leia. But it's not what we tuned in for the show, to the show for. And unless what you're serving me is going to be better, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, if, you, if I order a Coke and you bring me out, you know, an ice cream sundae or a, a chocolate milkshake... Then, you know what I mean? Yeah. Then maybe I won't be so upset that I didn't get what I ordered. But if it turns out not to be even as good as what you wanted, and the Princess Leia stuff, it wasn't that the actress was bad. They just, it, they couldn't figure the tone out. 
it would vacillate between being about kids getting murdered by Anakin and an underground railroad for Jedi children to weird sub home alone antics of her racing around and outsmarting bad guys. Yeah. And in, in one of the most bizarre little failures of production design, they always had little baby Leia sized things on these Imperial ships. Like why the freak would they not just put her in a normal chair? That's what, that's what real kidnappers would do. Why do they have a little baby, three little bears chair in their torture room? You know what I mean? That's, I never noticed that ever. It was so silly. And they always had like little bitty cute handcuffs. I mean, I guess there's Ewoks and all kinds of people all over the galaxy, Jawas. So, you know, they might have different size things, but chairs, would they really need to have like little, uh, whatever. That's a dumb thing to complain about. It is, but I, it's funny. Um, but yeah, overall, I would say that. Definitely a mixed bag. I mean, really disappointed at the end of the day because I was so excited about the show. I thought there's no way they could they could mess it up. It's and Ewan they, McGregor, man. And they kept finding weird ways to irritate me with it. What is it? I was so excited, and there was obviously there was some great stuff. And no, I, there was no, no, absolutely. I, I would I would say I'd give it like a seven out of ten. You know what I mean? Get, yeah, like a six and a half for me. Yeah, oh, really. And, and I'm usually nice, um, or than you, but yeah, it just was. For someone who has seen so much Star Wars stuff, and this is what we got instead of like it just it was just kind of just upsetting. Yeah, I would have honestly, I I, th- I thought that I would not want to see as much flashbacks because like we already have the Clone Wars, we already have the live action prequels, but kind of part of this thing is to do like a you know as Tosh says like a, a web redemption for for some of these characters, and so I really would have liked to see the live action version of some scenes from Clone Wars, even even though I said before that I didn't want to see that after watching this show, what they gave me instead. Ooh boy. Would have much rather seen that. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, but the parts that were there that were good were really good. And I really liked them. It was just that there was just a little bit, you know, it was kind of felt too little too little too late by the end. Yeah. I mean, I think like the the last scene of it. Of the show was the best. Yeah. And also it didn't help that uh, controversy oh, was kind of like swirling all around it, which made it not even fun to engage with the fan base online. You know what I mean? Which normally that's a fun thing, even if you don't like the show. Like part of the fun of watching, uh, you know, the Book of Boba Fett each week was hate watching it and then being able to go online with like-minded people and, you know what I mean? Yeah. Vent your anger and make jokes when everyone's making each other laugh. But with this, because a bunch of um, a-hole racists decided to, Docs, the the woman Moses Ingram who played Reva, um, is it Reva or Reva? Reva. Reva. Um, it made it to where you couldn't even discuss the show without being lumped in with those people who were actually being actively racist. And Moses Ingram is a great actress. Reva's just a terrible character. You know what yeah. I mean? But then it got to the point where like moderators and forums, and I'm not somebody who does goes and you know writes in comment sections, but I like to read them sometimes. But yeah, moderators and forums all across the internet were ha- were really struggling to to keep the to keep the comments from becoming too heated. And once once those racist people started doxing um, her, then then they basically started banning any comments that were about her character. Yeah. So it just it just made this bizarre. There's already a cloud over the show, and then they made it a cloud over the fan base. And, and and look, her character just wasn't very good. It wasn't her fault. Yeah, it was a poorly written character. I think. And, and I just oh, we God. need to take a break and like 
30 seconds, but just, I know I talked about this with you and I just wanted to get what your thoughts were about it. I really feel like the reason she was brought into that show was because it was supposed to be a one and done show and they wanted to backdoor into another Star Wars show with the same sets and the same other cast besides you and I just, I just wish they would have done that somewhere else. Yes, exactly. But they didn't know if this show was going to get... They didn't know that Ewan, Ewan McGregor's a huge actor. You know what I mean? He's a huge movie star. Yeah. So they didn't know if he was going to want to come back and do it again. Then why... So... And they said... That's why they initially said it was just going to be a miniseries. But I think because of that, they were... I, I really think the plan was to make a Reva and Baby Leia adventure spinoff show. Which makes me want to blow my head right off of my body. I don't want to watch that. Sorry, trigger warning references to suicide. Um, no, nobody wants to watch that. It was a huge fail. It 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 tore down, it, it it broke down the Obi Wan show, and she was a huge whiff as a character. Everybody hated her. I feel like she she could have. I feel like she could have been so much better. They just needed like some tweaking. All right. Well, look, we've spent all of the time that we can talking about uh, TV show catch ups. So take a quick break. Hear from our sponsors, and we get back. We're going to talk about the Black Phone. Welcome back to the Kids Stays in the Podcast. And today's discussion about the new Joe Hill movie. I should say Joe Hill movie, right? It's a Scott Derrickson movie based on a novel by Joe Hill. Yeah, just don't say that. Uh, but yeah, The Black Phone starring Ethan Hawke. Who else is it starring? Solomon? Mason Th- Thames. Thames. Yeah. Thames is sounds and so is weird. It, and Madeline McGraw? Yep. The two kids? Pretty much, this is a two, three-hander of a movie. There are some other folks in there, but for the most part, we are focused on Finney and Gwen. Gwen. <laughs> what were you going to say? I, I was going to say Gwent. I was no, like, you... no, that's the game from The Witcher. <laughs> you made the weirdest face. You went, mmm. <laughs> um, but yes, this is directed by Scott Derrickson. Uh, you probably know him. Primarily for directing Doctor Strange, the original Doctor Strange. And before that, he directed what many people called the scariest horror movie of all time, also starring Ethan Hawke, which was Sinister. Uh, Both of those films, he partnered with a local homegrown Texas boy, C. Robert Cargill. For those of you who have been involved in the Texas film scene for a long time, back before it got um, canceled for, for very good reasons, he was one of the main writers and correspondents for the site Ain't It Cool News, where everybody went under pseudonyms because they would publish illegal leaks. You know what I mean? Like they would go to events and they'd have to sign a non-disclosure agreement or people who had signed a non-disclosure agreement would leak the information information out and they would go right to Ain't It Cool News and publish it. So That's Ain't, what Ain't It Cool News was? That's what it started as, yeah. I used to see scrolling through that so much and that's so weird. Okay. Yeah, so, well, Ain't It Cool News got so big... Oh, sorry. His his pseudonym was Massa Worm. So I knew him. I've known. I grew up basically with C. Robert Cargill, um, but as Massa Worm. That's all we knew him as. Um, and then once Ain't It Cool News actually became those guys became legitimate, respected film journalists on their own because of this. Well, then they couldn't be published those scoops anymore. So then Ain't It Cool News was no longer the the premier film scoop website. They pretty much didn't publish scoops anymore, except for corporate ones that were you know what i mean where they were given exclusives yeah uh because you know first they were the outsiders and the rebels and then they became the man themselves 
And then, like the man, they got taken down during the B2 movement when their glorious leader turned out to be a sick, sick, sick man. Um, anyway, I brought the conversation down a little bit too far. Uh, but it does, it is in line with the themes of this movie. So, yes, uh, C. Robert Cargill wrote the adaptation of this short story. This story is, the short story, by the way, is very short. So they had to add quite a bit. And I think that it is one of the most impressive jobs that I've ever seen of taking a really short 10, 20 page story and fleshing it out to 90 minutes. None of it felt like padding to me. What did you think? I mean, you didn't read this short well, story. I, didn't, but I was just going to say, I remember you said something crazy that no one who reads books has ever said in the history of the world is that the movie was better. Mm-hmm. He said that, guys. You know what they say? They're like, the book is better than the movie. The book is better than the Not anymore. Yeah, because there was so much, there was so much more character development that happened. And normally it's the opposite, right? But because this is a short story, it makes sense why there would be much more character development in mm-hmm. the 90-minute or whatever movie. So um, shall we cannonball right into this mud pit or what? Into the mud pit. I don't really. Know. I don't know. I'm trying to avoid saying dive right in. People say. Well, it, you say just it said much. it. Now we're gonna get cursed. No, we're now not the podcast saying, I didn't say it. Horrible. I said we, people say we say it too much, so we're gonna cannonball. People say who's saying that? People, a lot of oh, everybody. Oh, okay. I, I have like hundreds of thousands of listeners who message me about us saying dive right in too many times. You get hundreds of thousands. Of hundreds this. of thousands. It takes me all day. Are they sending you like hate emails? They're not hateful. They're mostly like you're very handsome. We really like those shorty shorts that you're wearing. But if you could just say dive right in less. We'll stop saying it. You said it twice in one episode. (laughs) But I didn't use it. I just said it. Okay. Anyway, so cannonball right in. I don't want to go into the mud pit. I don't want to do a preamble. I don't want to do the whole thing where we're like, oh, what's your history with? uh, Why don't you do that? Well, I mean, there is no history. What's your history with it, Father? With what? With the black phone. That's not really what we normally do. But, But like I said, I read the short story a long time ago. really liked it. Found out that Cargill and... Derrickson, we're going to be adap- adapting it. I thought that was a great pairing. Car- uh, Derrickson's been trying to get this made for a long time. And both he and Cargill left. Stranger Things, Multiverse of Madness. Stranger Things. Sorry, St- Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness. Yeah, Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness. They both left. Now, there was, they said, creative differences. Cargill has still stayed on. Um, but he even then left once they were like, he's like, hey, we can do Black Phone now. Nice. And so they both left. They did it. Anyways, passion project have for you, them. Have you been looking forward to this movie for, I'll, like? Yes, I've been looking forward to this movie since I first read the book. And I read the short story because I found out they were attached to it. Mm. So it wasn't like, uh, you know, I read it, loved it, then pleasantly surprised. Oh, my gosh. I got him. I, I, it's okay. I can speak for him, even though I'm illiterate, apparently. Um. So, so yeah. Uh. I don't think there's like, look, Scott Derrickson, he's, he's, um, I'm not going to call him a hack in any way, but a hack. I said, I'm not going to call him a hack. I know, but why are you even bringing up him being a hack at all? So his first movie was a movie that scared the crap out of me, but is not known as a critically acclaimed movie by any stretch. And that's Exorcism of Emily Rose. His second movie is a pile of steaming dog crap that I hated. And that was a remake of the day the earth stood still with Keanu Reeves. Could not stand it. Um, but whatever. Uh, then his third movie was also a pretty bad generic horror movie. Um, I cannot remember what it was called now, but it was about an exorcist who like works with the cops. Like he goes like on patrol with cops. That's cool. 
I think it was called Deliver Us From Evil. And you can tell by the generic title, that's kind of what it was. You know how there's like a million Exorcist movies that you'll see trailers for every year and we never end up going to see them because they get like horrible reviews and they're probably pretty horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like one of those. And then from there, I think he went and did Sinister, which really is what put him on the map. And then, of course, Doctor Strange. Because Sinister was made for like something like three or eight million dollars and then went on to gross like hundreds of millions. And once you pull that trick off as a director, then everybody you loves know you. I mean? Yeah. And then Doctor Strange was a big hit. It was a very well-reviewed. It's one of my least favorite Marvel movies, but it's a very well-reviewed Marvel movie. And it created, you know, gave life to one of uh, the main figures in the MCU right now. So, yeah, it's kind of a strange career that he's had. He's 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 been a kind of a studio guy, um, and he's done for the most part, you know, an average number of middling horror movies and you know generic mid-budget action sci-fi movies. So look, he's having his he's having his day. I'm happy for him. And um, I really liked Sinister. Sinister made me feel really sick. Exorcism of Emily Rose, I, I thought was really scary. I still, if I wake up at 3.33, I'm not going back to sleep. <laughs> I'm going to be getting up and turning all the lights on in the house. It's really funny. That's from that movie. So, um, yeah, it's just a it's just an interesting direction that he's gone where he's kind of, he's like going the opposite way of what most filmmakers do. You know, if someone like Colin Trevorrow, who who goes from directing his little indie movie at Sundance, and then immediately is doing like Jurassic World, and then he's hired for Star Wars, and then he's taking over the entire Jurassic franchise. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That kind of has been the trajectory. And now this guy's going backwards. He started off doing these bigger budget movies, and then he's like doing smaller, more focused movies. Well, I guess he did, yeah. he's going in a weird, wacky. That's what I'm order. saying. Yeah, yeah. Because he went up to Doctor Strange. You know, you did Marvel, and then he's like, "No, nah, I really want to do this short." Novella by it's know, his dream. Joe Hill. Yeah, it was his it dream. Do his dream. dreams, dreams do come true. So why don't everyone. you? Uh, and that's our that's our message here. Follow your dreams. Yeah, that's everyone. That's not the message of the movie, though. Let's be very clear. It's just Solomon's message. I said that. Yes. Yeah, so uh, why don't you give us a quick plot synopsis of this movie? Everybody loves hearing your plot synopsis. They say that you're the best. All right. They say that you should write the back cover of every book ever made. Dude, that's a great idea. I should do that. Yeah, I'd love that. Um, okay, so short and sweet, like three sentences. Yep. Some kids have been getting kidnapped. Our main character gets kidnaps, kidnaps, kidnapped, and he is trying to find a way to escape. Why is it called the black phone that you have to? Because there's a black phone in the basement that he's kidnapped into, locked into by the kidnapper. That's all you're gonna say. There just happens to be a black phone in that room. The black phone has magical abilities, such as being able to commune with ghosts. Yeah, that is the main. That's how I would start. I would uh, say it's about a kid who gets kidnapped and is communicated by the ghosts of all the children who were murdered by this kidnapper before, and they call him on this on this phone it's in the black basement. Phone. Yeah. So, why isn't it called the All Lives Matter phone? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Stop stealing my joke and making it worse. I make it better. I say it about literally everything now. I do. That's what I do. That's the whole well, joke. you stopped doing it, so I've had to take over your job. And you you got to say te. Because you're supposed to sound like a dumb... Now people are just going to think that you believe that and you're just a racist. Te, all lives matter. <laughs> God. All lives matter, anyway, phone. Let's let's uh let's, let's keep going. We don't want to waste people's time here. Okay. So, um, 
Yeah, like, what, what do you think about the way that, that this world is introduced? So this movie set in 1978. This is obviously before you were born. It was even as hard as it is to believe a long while before I was born. Whoa. And Not a long while. A long while. <laughs> it's like a couple of years. A long while. That's barely before you were... That's, I'm not gonna. I don't. I'm not gonna say your age, but so it's a long time before I was born. Stop saying that. And um, yeah. So what did you think about like the way they they did this? We've seen we've seen a lot of movies that are take place in like the '80s. You know, we we saw that with It um, and Stranger Things. Yeah. You know. So this is going back a little bit further. Um, yeah. So what did you what did you think about just like the the initial setup? I, you, I don't think you knew anything about this movie going in. I mean, you told me everything about it back when we read, read the, the book. book. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> no, I didn't. I did not know too much about about the world. I knew like what the end was or whatever. Um, so what did I think about the world? Is what you said? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, oh God. What? Why are you saying like that? It's like leading a disabled horse to water. You still can't make him drink. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought the the world was um, it was. It was dark. It was a dark, dark world. Um, It was very, uh, you described it the other day, like it felt like there was an evil within the land, which is also kind of very Stranger Things-y. And it also- Which is very Stephen King-y, right? Yeah. Stranger Things is just a ripoff of Stephen King. Someone forgot to silence their phone. Sorry. Um, So, sorry, I just lost my train of thought. Oh, because your phone went off? Yes, it wasn't my fault though. Um, So- Yes, it, it is very Stephen Kingy, because um, I mean it, it is poppy. So yes, I, I completely. Can you talk for a second so I can get my brain back in order? That's okay. I'll be taking his phone away from him permanently after this, folks. So I always have my phone on silent. I don't know why it always unsilences when I'm at, in the podcast. It doesn't room. unsilence. You unsilence it. I don't. I you know I always Solomon. Have. The phone didn't unsilence itself. <laughs> okay. So yeah, the, the world building for this. What I love about it is. And I told, I actually mentioned this to Solomon off, off the air, but it, it reminds me of whenever you read the book, it, it reminds you of how you think that that world would feel. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's very like, if you, I don't get me wrong. I love, um, a Manchetti's, I hope that's how you pronounce his name, version of it, the new two part movie. I, I really liked it. But it, it has the kind of glossiness and sanding off some of the rougher edges that a big budget Hollywood movie Hollywood movie would have. Exactly. Yeah. So even though it was kind of brave and daring for being an R-rated movie about kids, mm-hmm. um, at the end of the day, it still had to sand off some rough edges. They had to sand off a lot of the weirder parts of it. You know, yeah. they kept stuff like the mummy and the Wolfman, those things, but they got rid of the flying slug books and the weird, you know what I mean? Yeah. The weirder stuff. This this movie's a lot more grounded. You know what I mean? It is supernatural, but it is a lot more grounded. Yeah. But it feel it just has this nat like this lived in feeling that the world has gone to crap. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like the parents suck. They're all beating their kids. The kids are just barely getting by. It's always gray. Every single you know, every street corner, every telephone pole is covered in missing persons posters. Mm-hmm. You know, the cops aren't able to do it. Everybody's house looks like just a couple rungs below middle class. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, this is a world that's rotting from the inside out. And the only 
good thing in this world is that is the tiny bit of innocence and joy and purity that you still Some have of in the childhood. Kids. Yeah, exactly. Like not even all the kids have that. Yeah, there's like there's like more groups of bullies in this than there are in in it. And yeah. So, uh, but yeah, let's let's take a quick break. Let you rally yourself, um, and I'll take your phone away. I'll lock it up in a safe. I'll dump it in some water. Put it in a turlet. Awesome. Um, and yeah, so let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll get to the real meat and potatoes of the meat black and potatoes. Yeah, the meat and potatoes of it. We're I love that. Welcome back to the Kids Stays in the Podcast and our discussion of Scott Derrickson's new horror film, The Black Balloon. Nope. The Black Friday. That is I cannot remember the name of the movie. Just kidding. It's uh, (laughs) The Black Phone. But I have called it The Black Balloon several times. Have you really? Yeah, because that song. The Black Balloon by Goo Goo Dolls or whatever? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Please stop singing that song. Anyway, so... um, we were just discussing like how the the world building here and to be clear we're not trying to act like there's some kind of fantastical world this is a world that feels very very real yeah it's just it just feels kind of oppressive this feels it just feels like off yeah it feels off-putting and just bad and and um there's a scene pretty early on where you start to really get idea of how much they're going to show and that is when the kid's dad who is not the villain of the piece just starts like beating his daughter. Who's a wonderful, you love her character. Gwen's like an amazing actress is fantastic. And he's just like beating her with a belt. And he's not like the bad guy of the movie. It's just like, Nope, everybody in this town and this age sucks. And, and it's, it is a pretty brutal scene. It is. It was, it was, yeah. It was hard, hard to watch. Yeah. and, And he's, and he's doing it not because she actually did anything wrong. Just because he's pissed off. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, that kind of gives you a really good idea of like how. This, the rest of it's going to be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it, it a lot. This movie was like really, it felt like painful. Like every hit, which there's a lot of hits mm-hmm. felt so impactful and powerful. Yeah. And um, we were discussing this previously, but. The movie does a great thing where it has a lot of uh, thematic layers, but you don't need to notice them or care about them even mm-hmm. for the movie to work. Because at the end of the day, they're just trying to tell a cracking good story and the the kind of nuances and layers and, you know, sub themes, if you want to call them that, are just there to add a bit more nuance to the story. Mm-hmm. So one of those that we were that we were talking about that I thought was it's kind of important because if you're trying to think of what the theme of this movie is, what would you say? Like, do you think there was like something very specific? Um, I wouldn't honestly. If you would have asked me that like before we talked earlier, I would have said like none. I wouldn't have given you a theme probably. So there's no theme. Well, obviously there's a theme, but I wouldn't have been able to think of one. Probably it would have taken me a while because like. Like you said, it just felt like I felt like I was just involved in the story. Right. I didn't feel like I, there had to be some theme. Yeah, but I, I want to be clear that a theme is not the same as a message. You I know, know what I mean? Yes. Well, I know that you know that, but I'm just saying like. I know themes. There has to be, there would be like an overt theme would be about uh, abuse. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's pretty on the on surface. The, uh, yeah. I know that, but 
So what yeah. would you say if you had to throw one out? If I had to throw one out, I don't know, probably like, well, I feel weird because we, we've talked about all these things. Well, they haven't, the audience hasn't heard That's us true. talk about them. Um, I would say probably like innocence being destroyed. That, yeah. Like that, um, that growing up thing. Yeah, I think that this is basically a horror, almost metaphor for that, right? The mm -hmm. way in which bitter, broken adults strip away the innocence and joy of childhood. Yeah. You know? And I think that all coming-of-age stories have that, but they're not necessarily told in this way. This graphic and brutal way. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, just to keep the audience up to pace with where the where we are in the movie, you know, he, the main character, um, he gets, I keep wanting to call him Linny. Finny. But it's Finny, yeah. But, yeah, Finny gets kidnapped uh, pretty early in the movie. We know that somebody named the Grabber has been going around um, kidnapping kids because there's always posters. Mm -hmm. And they do something they don't do in the, in the book because they didn't have time, which is they actually introduce several of the kids who got kidnapped. Um in the movie and then they're just gone yeah. and they give you a really good sense of what it would be like to live in a community where one day your friend is here and the next day he's just gone and there's the only thing left of him is missing persons flyers yeah like you don't see him ever again yeah yeah he's just gone so we really quickly finney gets taken by the grabber who's played by ethan hawk yeah i think i think like 30 minutes into the movie yeah and the rest of the movie pretty much is him in this basement. Uh, they they modified the grabber's character a bit from the book, where now he has a uh, uh, he wears a creepy mask the entire time. Yeah, and it's like an adjustable mask, so there's like different like there's attachments. A, yeah, there's different attachments on the bottom. Well, and the top. Well, you can no, take no, the, the top off. Yeah, you can take the top off, but there's no other thing there. Either way, we're getting a little bit um, far away from what we were talking about, which is like some of the themes. But yeah, like you said, like the that. That idea of like stolen innocence that is already that is already established before he even gets taken, which is very quickly in the movie. Yeah, you know the daughter, um, she's getting beaten by the dad well mm -hmm. beforehand. The dad's basically just passing out in front of the TV. Yeah, um, and this goes into another theme. And at the risk of sounding a bit too you know pretentious, that um, I didn't really think about until we were discussing it while we were doing show prep was um, the idea of institutional failures. That, that that's really I think a pretty heavy theme um, in the book. You have the dad who has been failed by the United States government and the military. He's a he's obviously a PTSD riddled um, veteran, Vietnam War veteran, right? So you have the way that his institutions have failed him, failed him, him. <laughs> have failed him, and now that's happening. Like now the results of that are getting taken out on his children. Not mm -hmm. that that gives him an excuse. The movie's not trying to do that. Well, yeah, of course. This is not a movie about trying to make people or ideals or people groups feel better. This is a movie about just making you kind of look in the face of really negative societal failures, you mm -hmm. know? Um, but then you have the kids. The school system. Yeah, the school system is obviously failing them. They're still getting beaten almost to death it seems like yeah and in, like in between classes and the teachers are never doing anything for them yeah i don't i feel like we see like one teacher the whole movie maybe like our counselor so like two um and you like never see them outside of like the school so if there's a fight outside of school no teacher's gonna come out and break them break it up 
nor nor any parents. Yeah, there's like there's like hardly any adults in here, which is like you know more Stranger Things. There's a lot of Stranger Things connections. Well, and then like so so we can go like we can go that deep, right? We can say we can uh, you know the institution of school, institution of government, the institution of the military. Um, but then really, if you strip it down, it goes even further than that. It's like the institution, quote unquote, of adults. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like everything that these kids have been. Oh, the police, by the way, the police are also completely ineffectual at f- finding this killer. Mm-hmm. Um, the sister Gwen, she like has like kind of supernatural premonitions, dreams. Yeah. dreams. They don't obviously they don't be- really believe her. Even once they do finally start believing her. It's too little, too late. They don't actually ever do anything. So yeah, so you have that third rail, you know, institution of the police. They're also, um, you know, an institution that's failing. But yeah, it's just adults in general, right? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's like, I I don't know if it was Joe Hill's intention or if it was Derrickson's or Cargill's or whatever. But there really is this sense that nobody's looking out for the children. They're gonna have to look out for themselves. They're the only people that have their own back. You know, at the, at the end of the movie, the dad is like, comes to the kids. He's been, you know, an abusive drunk. And he's crying and crying and saying it's never going to happen again. And the kid, it's like, it the look the kids give each other is like, dude, this movie's not about you. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. They just look at each other. They're not like, they're not like, oh, screw you, old man, or whatever. They're just like, it, and it's not even like they don't believe him. It's like they don't care. Yeah. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter if you're going to get better, whatever. We already know how to take care of ourselves. You know, mm-hmm. we just uh, we just uh, took down the the boogeyman that nobody else could take down. Yeah. Um. So yeah, yeah. and like the ghosts of children are helping the children, even, right? Which is sorry, I just thought about that. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. This is a movie where kids are helping, and it's, and it's odd because it is it is a rated R, not for kids movie even though i i mean everybody knows probably by now that i'm a pretty liberal when it comes to what i think the age range and everybody knows their kids better mm-hmm. but i 100 think that if you have a kid who has a pretty decent um a pretty decent grasp of the world this is one of those rated r movies where i think 100 i would say take you could take your 13 year old to go see right especially if they like kind of horror movies it's not that gory at all um, it, it's scary, but it's also, despite how much darkness we're, we've been discussing, it also is a pretty uplifting movie. You, know yeah, I mean? you don't you, leave the movie feeling gross. You get, you get the good ending. Yeah. You, you, you get the catharsis that you're, that you're wanting. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So let's, let's kind of move away from like the themes. If they come back up again, then by all means you can, you can mention it. Yeah. But let's get into a little bit of the, like kind of the structure of the film. Cause it's kind of, it's pretty interesting to me what they were able to do with just one location yeah so kind of walk us through like how the the general structure of the film is once he's down in the in the basement and what you thought about that and the way that they use cinematography and different things to kind of make it not get stale so yeah uh, well yeah um you're you're basically for like 70 percent of the movie i would say um more than over 50 percent you're in this one basement for like the whole time and I just thought it was it was amazing, like directing and whatever to make it to where the cuts to like seeing what the outside world is doing and um, like the editing there. And then just like the way they filmed him being in that room, they made it just not boring. You know, I feel like if some directors could or 
writers or whatever could make that that it, it, it could get like you said stale. Um, but yeah, I think this would definitely be something that the director had control over, right? The writer wouldn't. Yeah, really the, I don't know why I said the writer. I don't know why I said the writer, but um, like stage directions, you know. I mean, whatever. Um, so. Yeah, it, like it's like, and the shots are like they're really good for one room, you know. Like you get these, you get to see like different angles of where he's going, and there's like time lapses and stuff. Um, but yeah, overall, like it, everything was just perfect to where you were never bored. Honestly, just a really dynamic shooting, and everything was just immaculate. Well, they they were able to do a lot of uh, not a lot, but they were able to actually get in some pretty classic jump scares. Which how did how did they really get away with that? Considering that how did, how does something jump out or surprise you whenever you're just in a big square room? Yeah, that would you're I completely forgot about that. Uh, really, really smart. Basically, like the only way you could do it is like by him sleeping, and then like him seeing something, waking up because because you're not seeing anything either because he's not seeing anything, and then they would just like put the jump scare like behind him. That way, uh, whenever they would like pan around or he would move, there's a jump scare, um, which is pretty classic and or stereotypical, I should say, for horror movies like this. I thought the clever thing was just how precise they had to be. You know what I mean? Because the camera needed to just move like a couple of inches, that way that they could cheat mm -hmm. for us, the audience, and get the ghost to be like right beside him. You know what yeah. I mean? So just just out of your field of vision. Because mm -hmm. there's no mirrors. They can't do the classic, you know, they're brushing their teeth, they look down, they look up, ghost in the mirror. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they really had to do it all with very clever staging. Yeah, and it worked, like, really well. And like you said, they're, like, classic jump scares. But, I mean, they work. Yeah, and, like, so structurally, like, the, the movie is a kid's down in the basement. Like, what's he doing down there the whole time? Are we just, like, watching a kid pace around in the basement? I mean, I just want to get into, like, what the, how this movie is, is structured that how, what helps keep the pacing going so well. Um, so, yeah, uh, basically, every, like, every, so the first thing we see is, like, not the first thing we see. We get a, we get a, we get a call from this telephone. And, by the way, the telephone is, like, cut open. Or, like, the wires are Yeah, it's not connected. It's disconnected. It's, it, it's it's a magical telephone. Um, so basically, a ghost tells him like a new idea or like something that he did from his attempt at escaping um, or his experience in that area. And basically, there's like a new, each person has a different thing that they did that helps him to like escape or whatever. So basically, you see him attempt that or do it. And just to, re just to really quickly clarify, so the, the ghosts are all different. Every time somebody calls, for the most part, it's a different ghost each time. So yes. that, that also helps break it up. And it, it it's this is not explicitly mentioned, but I just wanted to, sorry, to, but uh, no, to clarify it, or not clarify it, to bring it up. It seems like the longer that you were dead, the less you can remember about yourself. So the first ghost that calls is like one of the first kids that died. We never saw this kid, mm -hmm. right? And... Um, he doesn't know his name. Most of them don't know their name anymore because they say that's the first thing you lose. Yeah. But he just keeps repeating the same one of the same lines over and over again for the most part. You yeah, because it seems like he keeps forgetting what he's saying. Yeah, so it seems like basically they're fading away. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that's holding them to this place is trying to help the next kid escape. Yeah. Um, and But they're fading, you know what I mean? That's what it seemed like to me. I don't know if that's what it felt like to you. but Yeah, yeah. And what, it, they didn't like call in the order they died. They called in like completely different orders right because the, the kid who was like newspapers completely forgot everything 
But like the first guy, he, the delivered newspapers was one of the earlier people that died. Yeah, so I was saying. But he was like in. He was whenever we see his call, it's like in the middle of the movie. Isn't that the? I thought it was the second call, the paper boy. Yeah, but maybe. But the, the first, first call was the person we don't who didn't know his name. The second call is the one who says, "Call me the paper boy." Then the third call is Bruce Yamada. And the first call is Bruce Yamada. No, it isn't. Yes, it. It's not either. Hundred percent isn't. Do you want to? Bet? Do you want to go? I'll go leave this podcast studio and go watch the movie right now because it is it, it is it. It's one hundred percent is him. You're right. I think you're right. I am right. Um. So yes, it's 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 all in a different order. Maybe that's different in the book. No, no, it was all in different orders too in the book. But in the book, they also didn't really introduce us to any of the people. Bruce Yamada and um, uh, Robin. Bruce Bruce was the only person who was named and he, who's his poster. Mm-hmm. Like they might have been named, but we didn't meet them. Sorry, and I keep saying yeah. Bruce Yamato, nobody knows who this is, but he's the first kid that we see get kidnapped. Yeah, and he's like the first kid we actually meet in the yeah. movie. So either way, it doesn't really matter. Anyway, let's take a quick break and we'll come back, wrap up, and um and give our score of the movie. Okay, sounds good. And we are back. What's going on? We're talking about the black phone. Here on the Kids Days in the Podcast. Yeah. The podcast, the musical. Mm. Anyway, so we were just now, right, we were kind of wrapping up the part of the discussion about how the movie's structured. And yeah, and it, I, I'm not doing the greatest job here, but um, as I was saying, the people call in different orders and... The ghosts. Yes, yeah, the, the ghosts. Okay. You keep, you're, you're the reason this podcast sucks. <laughs> <laughs> That's rude for you to say this podcast sucks. This is the greatest podcast known to man. You're right. I'm sorry. Um, I love this podcast, but you... R- ruin it every time i'm always having a great thought and you just seems like you're spiraling out of control all on your own here okay so basically the dead people are calling in different orders so that like breaks it up a little bit and while he's doing that thing you can see doing whatever they said to do i don't think you really clarified that very well i said that earlier he'll be doing something that they said from their past life yeah that's not very that doesn't that's not helpful they give him they give him little snippets of the last thing they tried to do to escape I guess I didn't say that exactly. I said something yeah, so like similar. So, one to of it. the guys tells him, "Hey, try tunneling. I found a place where there's loose tiles. You can tunnel out from under the thing." Mm-hmm. Another guy's like, "Hey, I hit a wire. Try using this to like climb out the window." You know what I mean? Everybody has a little thing that they're trying to help him get out. Yes. So after he does one of those things, it'll cut to like the girl having a dream or like a his f- sister. His sister. I'm sorry. Well, I'm sorry. It's very hard to follow you when you just randomly say crap. I know. <laughs> so we we cut to like his sister having like one. They're like weird dream flashback premonitions. Yeah. So like you can see what um like one of the kids who dies, like Bruce, uh, you get to see like him growing up. And um, and then you also get to see how they ended up at this person's house. And um, like how he got kidnapped. Yeah, that's what I meant. Uh, not this person's the See grabber, I mean? the grabber's house. That's what I mean. That's you. You're in like this Vegas way. It's uh, like you're trying to be confusing. I know. Like, and then a girl has a dream, and the girl will have a dream about how he got to the house, and then blah blah blah. Yes, I know. But, I um, also the thing that you really liked was the way that they shot those. Yes, I I loved the way, like these dream. I'm just gonna say dreams. They are dreams. I know. That's what I'm saying. I'm just gonna call them dreams and not dream yeah. premonition things. Okay. Yeah. Call them what they are. Um. So yeah, these dreams are shot. What did you say? They're like eight millimeter. Yeah, if anybody saw um, Derrickson's first big movie, Sinister, this was the first big movie, but it's you know 
one of his big movies. That's like what it was known for is they're watching all these eight millimeter home videos. Yeah. So he's definitely cribbing from himself there. But yeah, and it works really well for like the time period as well because it's it's shot in eight millimeter. You can see like this film grain and it just it just looks really cool. And I just love the texture of the way it's shot. And that's also to me, it like breaks up the look of the movie. And so you're not like looking at the same thing, which works also really well. Um, so, yeah. I'm I'm done talking now. <laughs> no. no, that's that's pretty much how the movie's structured, and it, it's it's so well done that you really it's not that you're upset when it cuts away from him just being in the basement, but they do. There's enough suspense and enough interesting things going on that you definitely aren't like, oh, when are we going to get out and see? Because this is not one of those movies where it's about the police investigation. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's not like oh, are the police going to get there in time? I mean, don't get me wrong, that ticking clock is still there, but it's this is not really that kind of movie. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? This is a movie about the victim working with other victims to free himself. Yeah. It's not a movie about relying on other people. Yeah. So Except for relying on the other victims. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, outside help. Yeah. Uh, so, look, we get a crazy Rocky-like bit of training montage where he's, like, putting all this plan together, what he's going to have to do. All the ghosts finally are calling him. Again, this is a full spoiler podcast. You should know this by now. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't be listening to this until you've seen the movie. Um, unless you don't mind being spoiled. But, uh, yeah, you get kind of a Rocky training montage where he's, like, learning how to fight and do this. Yeah. The ghosts are teaching him. And uh, they changed a little bit of this from the book in a way that I didn't love. But, ah, uh, well. And, yeah, so you end with this incredible story of uh, or feeling of these victims all coming together and empowering themselves and I know it sounds really hokey saying it out loud but you know what I mean to make sure that nobody else dies to make sure this does not happen you know what I mean yeah um and so the movie when the movie's over you have this you have the the feeling that I I, I don't like walking out of horror movies feeling that postmodern popular ending that they are feeling that uh, horror movies people want to, especially A24 horror movies want to leave you with, where you feel like either you feel confused because they didn't never explain to you what was going on. Yeah. I'm not talking about spoon feeding you. I mean, they purposely left it vague. Yeah. Or nihilistic feeling where you feel gross. You know what I mean? Yeah. You think the person's going to get out, but really their face got eaten off in front of their children. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, I like walking out of a horror movie with the feeling that I felt after this, which is where you feel like you got beat up a little bit. You feel like you went through some brutal stuff. And at the end you feel like you've won. Yeah. You have like a, you're full of adrenaline and you know what I mean? Like, and like, yeah. and like everything might actually be okay. Mm-hmm. You know, if we all just believe in even, ourselves, even if everything sucks at first. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that's a, that's a good, I like that too. I don't like these weird new, Kind of boring horror movies. Well, I can't stand the boring ones for sure. But like this, is, it's honestly at this in 2022, it's now almost niche to have a happy-ish ending in a horror movie. You know yeah. what I mean? It's it became so trendy to to push back against what was perceived as an American uh, film cliche of Americans always need their happy endings, you know? So then the industry kind of pushed back and made it to where no movie has a happy ending, especially horror movies. 
Yeah. And um, I feel like you need a, a happy ending in a horror movie, or at least a, a, an okay ending in a horror a, movie. Yeah. You, like, I just like the feeling of that you get, got off of a roller coaster. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't want to get on a roller coaster and at the end they tell you your grandma died. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, or they actually fling you off a cliff. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I just I I it's weird. It was one of the darker movies that I've seen. It felt felt dark, it felt gritty, but you feel good coming out the other side of it. And that is by a way the movie is structured. It's not just about like shoehorning in a happy ending. Yeah, it know? just works. And um And let me tell you, Joe Hill does not normally do that. I mean, the last short story that I read of him involved a woman watching her fiance or her brother eat her baby. So um no happy endings there. That's awful. I did not need to know that. Yeah, it's in the tall grass. Check it out. I don't want to do that. Um, oh, wait. Didn't you tell me about that? Yeah. Anyway, we're not here to talk about in the tall grass. So, Black Phone, I think we've given you guys about all the analysis that we can on this film. It was not a typical review because I, I wanted to actually discuss the movie. I wanted to feel like you guys were getting to hear what it was like for us to discuss the movie right after we were at the theater. Yeah, we, we loved this movie, and we wanted to give you all a good, a good discussion. Yeah, and I hope that I hope that you felt that we did, but I still will give it a, a rating, and I'll say that um, I, I'm going to give this movie. Whew, I think eight and a half black balloons. There actually are black balloons in this movie, by the way. There are black. Maybe that's why you're calling it that. Yeah, eight and a half black balloons. Eight and a half. That's it. That's it. That's almost perfect. I'm giving it like. I'm gonna give it like. Hang on a second. All right, I'm gonna give it like nine hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine, like red balloons, ghosts, <laughs> ghosts out of a million. Okay, so you're giving it a nine point nine. It's a nine hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety. Look, the only reason I'm, I'm knocking off half a point, and not giving it a nine, is just because at the end of the day, the story is still kind of slight. I still, I love it. I thought it was great, but you know, slight. Yeah, it's a it's a very simple and straightforward. That's not its fault. That's what the story's based off of. I'm not the book. I, I am, but because of that, I'm just taking off. Half the story of just they just did it. They just told us the story and it worked and it was amazing and it was really good and they gave us even more than we needed and it was great and it was even better. Anyway, thanks for tuning in. Until next time, we love you guys. Sure, peace. Follow us on Instagram at the Kid in the Pick and on RogueMediaNetwork.com. Till next time. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast.